You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all here, as always. Uh, Today, we're going to be continuing our sermon series called Exiles, and this week, we're going to be finishing up Daniel chapter 2. I know we've been in Daniel chapter 2 for a long time, but there's so much to get out of it, and I didn't want to skip anything. So uh, Daniel chapter 2, we're going to be reading from uh, verses 46 to 49. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there, or else it'll be up on the screen behind me, thanks to Jordan. Um, Right before we get into it, though, I just want to kind of uh, give a summary of where we're we're at so far in the the story of chapter 2 in Daniel. So uh, I'll explain that to you so we can all be caught up. So Daniel... By the wisdom of God, he's just revealed and interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream to him, something none of the other Babylonian wise men uh, were able to do, which is why King Nebuchadnezzar had them all sentenced to death. He was angry at them for not being able to do what he asked them to do. And uh, Daniel, though, was able to, to save their lives and his own by gathering with his friends and then seeking out God's mercy and wisdom. And in doing so, God revealed the dream to Daniel, and Daniel then, as God's messenger, brought this revelation to the king. And, this, and it was a dream that highlighted the sovereignty of God, the immortality of human empires, and the promise of an eternal kingdom. And so that's all that's happened, and this is what happened next. So Daniel 2, 46 to 49. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So that's how that part of the story ends. And I just want to ask a question. Um, Try to imagine this. President Donald Trump bowing before a Mexican immigrant and then promoting him into his entourage. Can anyone imagine that? No. Me neither. Um, The the reason I bring that up is that I I want us to get a picture of what's happening in in this passage, how how crazy it is. The fact that this, this prideful king of one of the greatest empires in the known world would bow down to a lowly Jewish exile. That's that's like unheard of. Yet that's what happens. In this story, Daniel not only saves the lives of everyone who is sentenced to death, but he's also richly rewarded. He's, he's honored with sacrifices. The king bows down to him. And then he's exalted as a ruler in the king's court by the king of Babylon himself. All because King Nebuchadnezzar is amazed at Daniel's God. And Daniel ends up reaping the reward. Of course, Daniel wasn't necessarily seeking reward. He was trying to save his life, right? But this, so this is simply the result of his faithful attitude of, of humility, of worship, and dependence on God during the whole ordeal. 
Repeatedly throughout the story, in fact, Daniel humbles himself before the Lord. He sought after the Lord with his friends. He gave all the credit to the Lord. He places his dependence and trust solely on the Lord. And he repeatedly deflected all the attention or credit off of himself and onto the Lord. This is kind of a theme happening right here, right? And so in this story, we're actually seeing a, a literal translation of James 4, verse 10, which says, Humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Daniel's humility leads to, to a pretty sweet promotion in the courts of Babylon. And at this point, I think if we were Daniel, most of us would be pretty impressed with ourselves, so quickly climbing the corporate ladder, right? But Daniel's still not thinking of himself at this point. He doesn't, he doesn't forget his friends. In fact, he dares to ask the king to reward his friends as well. And so the king agrees, and he, he appoints Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And, and we can clearly see his concern. Daniel's concern is not only for himself here, but for his friends as well. And uh, when I read that, it reminded me of Philippians 2, 3 to 4, which says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Daniel's given a place as, as a ruler in the king's court, but he makes sure to bring his friends with him. To not leave them behind, but to raise them up as well. I think that's, that's so awesome. Uh, and certainly as, as we look at the example of Daniel's humility, his, his ability to, to set aside his own interests uh, for the interest of God and for others, there's definitely a lesson in there in, in being humble and in the power of humility. Not, not simply as, as a commendable virtue, we all know it's good to be humble, right? But, so not simply as a commendable virtue, but, but primarily as a means for the presence, power, and wisdom of God to be experienced, to be displayed, and to be worked out in our lives. It's through humility that we live and walk in the presence of God. It's through humility that God can do his work in us. Speaking of which, I was, I was talking about my message topic with my wife this week, and, and she couldn't stop talking about how humble I am, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding, of course. Uh, <laughs> she actually asked me if I had uh, any good stories to tell about, about a time where I thought I was awesome, and then it turned out I wasn't. And, uh, and then my son Liam piped up and said, Dad, isn't that your whole life? That's my story, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, Daniel's life, unlike mine, I guess, is, is, is a great example of, you know, starting with humility. is the power of humility, right? But, but even more than just being an example for us, I, I want to emphasize that Daniel's model of a life-giving, God-honoring, and redeeming humility should, first of all, and most importantly, remind us or point us to what Jesus accomplished for us in his own humility. For what Daniel did for his friends in the temporal kingdom of Babylon, Jesus did for us in the eternal kingdom of God. Like the wise men in the story, we're all facing a death sentence. 
right? A death sentence rooted in our pride and for the wages of our sin. And we're helpless in our plight. So in order to rescue us, Jesus didn't just risk his life like Daniel did, but he actually humbled himself in the form of man and gave his life at the cross for our sins. And after defeating the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit, he now sits at the right hand of God the Father. And just as King Nebuchadnezzar bowed before Daniel, Psalm 72:11 proclaims this about Jesus. It says, all kings will bow before him, and all nations will serve him. So through his death and resurrection, Jesus now reigns with all authority as, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. All kings and nations bow before him. But also like Daniel, Jesus made sure to take his friends with him. Ephesians 2, 4-6 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So again, like Daniel, but better, way better, Jesus humbled himself before the Lord in order to rescue us. And not only rescue us, but to share with us his reward and his exaltation. To share in his glory, to share in his eternal life to invite us to be seated with him at the table and in the courts of God. Therefore, while our pride, ironically, tends to make us imagine or believe that we can be like or that we are likened to Daniel and his humility in this story, really, we're more like the wise men or Daniel's friends helplessly headed for death. Instead, similar to the, the way that Daniel alone embodied humility and dependence on God for the sake of everyone else. It's Jesus who embodies this perfect humility for us. And that's a good thing because it's what we need. Again, pride causes us to turn ourselves away from God, but it's humility which draws us into his presence. Jesus became that humility for us. It's Jesus' perfect humility which overcomes and breaks down our sin and pride. It's Jesus' humility which rescues us from death and invites us into the presence of God. As uh, Andrew Murray, in his classic book, Humility, writes, he says, Hence it follows that nothing can be our redemption but the restoration of the lost humility, the original and only true relation of the creature to its God. And so Jesus came to bring humility back to earth, to make us partakers of it and by it to save us. In heaven, he humbled himself to become man. The humility we see in him possessed him in heaven. It brought him. He brought it from there. And then here on earth, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. His humility gave his death its value and so became our redemption. Jesus Christ took the place of and fulfilled the destiny of man as a creature by his life of perfect humility. His humility is our salvation. His salvation 
is our humility. I love that line. His humility is our salvation. His salvation is our humility. How can we not be anything but humbled in, in, in light of that unconditional grace and love we've been given by God through Christ who humbled himself for us? His humility is our salvation. His salvation is our humility. And 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31 responds to, to, to that work like this. And it says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not our works, not our looks, not our wealth, not our successes, not our self-righteousness, not our bloodlines, right? Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Ian M. Duguid, I think that's how you say his name, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Anyone know how to pronounce that? <laughs> Anyways, um, true, he says, true humility comes, however... When we look away from ourselves towards God and towards the one who is God revealed in human flesh, Jesus Christ. The Lord of all eternity demonstrated that servant's heart all the way to an inglorious death on the cross, reviled and spat upon, abandoned and alone. When I ponder his humility, my own attempts at humility are revealed as a mere baby step downwards. And I marvel afresh at the glory of God's plan of salvation, which has absolutely nothing to do with my merit and everything to do with Christ's work in my place. How can I exalt myself when I stand beside the cross? He did all the work and, and we get to enjoy it. So if we boast, we boast in Christ alone. And again, Daniel's example here reminds us of this, that, that in our helplessness and pride, we, we needed a humble Savior to rescue us. And, and this reality alone should humble us. As the song declares, I will not boast in anything, no powers, no gifts, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. If we boast, we boast in Christ alone. Though the amazing thing is that once we've been rescued and humbled by Christ and filled with the Spirit, we, we then can walk in a place of humility and independence on God. And in that way, Jesus, like Daniel, is an example for us, as well as the source of what a lo living a life of humility, meekness, obedience, and dependence on God should look like in our lives as Christians. This is also the Apostle Paul's train of thought as he writes one of the most powerful hymns ever written in Philippians 2, 3 to 11, when he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself... By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Such an amazing passage. And and it not only highlights the reality of what it means to be first in the kingdom of God, that is, Jesus taught his disciples and exemplified his, himself that to be first means to make yourself last. To be greatest means to make yourself the least. But this passage also gives us uh, some characteristics of what true humility is and what it looks like. Characteristics which we're, we're meant to live out in our lives now. That Now that hu- this humility is ours in Christ Jesus. So I want to go through those characteristics. There's four of them I want to highlight for us this morning of what a life of humility in Christ Jesus looks like. So first one, first characteristics, first characteristic of humility is thinking of others before yourself. Thinking of others before yourself. So, of course, again, Daniel models this when, when he remembers his friends. Right? He, didn't, he didn't need to. He didn't have to. He could have taken his, his reward and, and, and ran with it. Maybe even shoved it in their faces, right? But yet... Instead, he risks asking the king to, to reward and promote them as well. He's thinking of not only his own interests, but the interests of others. And in the same way, but better, though Jesus was and is and always will be God, he humbled himself in the form of man, even though he doesn't need anything from us. In fact, Jesus had all the glory, all the holiness already, all things were created through him and for him, but yet he set all that aside. For our sake. Though he was equal to God, he did not count it as something to be grasped and emptied himself. I want to to note that this doesn't mean that he ceased to be divine or that he ceased to be God, as some people teach, so that they can can pridefully achieve equality with Jesus. It means, though, that, that he was God and deserved glory, and he set that glory aside for us because he was thinking of us. Again, the irony, though, is that in our pride, we, we, we humans attempt to elevate ourselves and, and achieve godliness or, or build our own selfish kingdoms to become like God. But Jesus, who is the Son of God, did the opposite. He humbled himself because he desired to invite us into his kingdom. And so in the same way now as Christians, we need to have this mind among ourselves. And if we're secure in the satisfaction and, and knowledge of who we are in Christ, we can then set aside our desire for self-promotion and self-affirmation in order to put others before us, to count others as more significant. Not just those we like either, but everyone. Like both Daniel and Jesus, we should seek the glory of God and look to the interests of others. That's the first characteristic of humility, which leads to the second one which Jesus also displays for us, which is service. Service. Jesus became a servant. Think about that. The Word of God, Lord of the universe, became a servant. Willingly. He gave his life completely over in obedience to God the Father, even to the point of death on the cross. He served others. He washed his disciples' feet. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He gives and he gives and he gives, ultimately giving his own life for our sakes. And, of course, Daniel exemplifies this act as a servant as well. 
He's serving the king. He's serving the other wise men and his friends. And so in Christ, we're called to reciprocate and emulate his servant's heart through both serving the Lord and serving one another. Humility never asks, how will this benefit me? What am I getting out of this? They ask, humility asks, how can I glorify God and benefit others? The glorious paradox in in all of this is that when we do serve others in this way, it does result in our benefit. As we see with Daniel, God exalts the humble. As we see with Jesus, God exalts the humble. Now, unlike Daniel's story, we may not sit at the, the right hand of Prime Minister Trudeau as a reward for our humility, but God does bless the humble. And, and, if, and if not on this earth, then in eternity. Which leads us to the third characteristic of humility, which Jesus displays for us, and that's sacrifice. I think we can agree that we'd usually be willing to, to serve or think of others before ourselves if, if it doesn't cost us anything or it doesn't cost us much. But the cross shows us that humility is costly. It takes sacrifice and even suffering sometimes. Jesus suffered and willingly laid down his life so that we would not perish but have eternal life. In humility, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. He sacrificed his very nature and his life. To be humble is to empty ourselves. To be, to be so secure in the Father's love and in, in our identity with Christ that we're willing to freely and generously give of ourselves and, and, and of our things for the sake of the glory of God and for others. Pride calls us to, to hoard our things and build our own empires. Humility calls us to sacrifice and calls us to generosity. Which leads us to the fourth and final characteristic I want to talk about this morning, and that's seeking God's glory. Humility is seeking God's glory. Paul ends the passage with all to the glory of God. This is the defining characteristic of Christian humility. Pride, again, is seeking our own glory. Humility at its core is to seek the glory of God, to boast in Christ alone. And the reason Jesus was able to humble himself in the way that he did was that his his core purpose and desire was to give all of himself in complete obedience for the glory and proclamation of God the Father. And again, the result of of all of Christ's perfect and God-glorifying humility, God raised Jesus up from the grave and highly exalted him above all things where he now sits at the right hand of God as the name above all names where every knee on heaven and earth will bow. The late theologian Warren Wiersbe writes, The person with a submissive mind, as he lives for others, must expect sacrifice and service. But in the end, it is going to lead to glory. So in one sentence, he just summed up my whole message. The person with a submissive mind, as he lives for others, must expect sacrifice and service. But in the end, it is going to lead to glory. As we, as we humble ourselves before the Lord in the manner and attitude of Christ, we'll find that God will exalt us to a higher place that, that we could ever take ourselves. The last will become first, 
The poor in spirit inherit the kingdom. The meek inherit the earth. The humble will be exalted. So for the glory of God and the strength of the unity of the body of Christ, of this church, let us, let us continue to, to grow in both the strength of Christ and in, in the example of Christ so that we would do nothing in pride, but in humility we would think of others above ourselves, that we would serve one another in love, that we would sacrifice our worldly possessions when needed and, and set aside the praise we think we deserve or desire to seek out the good and the praise of others. Through the humility of Christ, let's stand together for the glory of God. As it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about your grace in light of our sin, as we think about your mercy in light of our brokenness. As we think about your love compared to our lack of love, our disobedience. As we think about the way you humbled yourself, Lord, to rescue us, to save us in spite of who we are and what we've done. Lord, we are humbled. We bow before you. Lord, we boast in you alone. We thank you so much for the cross for what you've done for us, that you've invited us to be raised up with you. We thank you so much for that, Lord. And I pray that even as we receive that that perfect work and acknowledge that perfect work in humility, Lord, that you you would teach us to walk now in that humility that you've given us. That as we humble ourselves before you, that you would work your good and perfect will through us, Lord. That as we humble ourselves before you, that that you would use us as your vessels to proclaim your name, to serve others that, that, that are in need, and to lift up others that are broken. Lord, I thank you for your perfect work, but also for your example. I pray that we would be able to walk in it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.